0: Let us pray. Father, I ask you to give us your spirit today, to hear your words, to receive them, to be instructed, and to do with them as you would have us to do. May you be honored and glorified in
1: us as we listen to you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Our gospel reading today begins with a rather
0: strange sentence. It says, Now it happened that when he, Jesus, was praying alone,
1: the disciples were with him. He was alone and the disciples were with him. Now, I think
0: the alone here is mainly in reference to his being away from the 5,000 that he has just fed with loaves and fishes. He's come away. But it also creates the impression of Jesus praying privately and being observed by his disciples. And it tells us that part of the reason for what he does is to mentor and to provide an example for his disciples. He gives them a window into what he does when he is alone. He allows them to see
1: him alone, praying to the Father. Now we'll see in a a minute that this, this life as an example
0: goes beyond just teaching them private prayer. This is an important part of what he does. But while he's praying, he turns to his disciples and asks, Who do the crowds say that I am? And they respond with, well, some say that you're John the Baptist. Others say Elijah or one of the prophets that has risen again. And then Jesus turns to his disciples and asks another question, a question that has rightly, I think, been called the most important question that any person can possibly face. Who do you say that I am? Who am I? Who is this Christ? Who is this Jesus? And Peter answers it perfectly well. He gives the right answer to this question You are the Christ of God. You are the anointed one, the one who has been sent by God to accomplish his work in this world. You are the Christ of God. Jesus then tells his disciples not to go and tell anyone about this. They have answered it correctly, they have given the right answer, and then he says, do not go tell anybody that I am the Christ of God. This is a curious thing that Jesus does on several occasions, not just here to his disciples. There are other times, sometimes after a miracle, after healing, or after casting out of uh, demons, Jesus looks at the person and says, don't go tell anybody what I've done. Don't go tell anybody who I am. In fact, it's a time when demons Right, Say,
1: you're the Christ, we know who you are. And Jesus says, be quiet.
0: It's a curious phenomenon that's sometimes referred to as the messianic secret. That Jesus is saying, don't tell anybody who I am. Don't tell anyone that I'm the Messiah. And there are many reasons that our commentators give for this. The reason that makes most sense to me is not so much that Jesus is concerned that nobody finds out that he's the Messiah. But rather that he knows that no one understands or can understand at this moment what the Messiah is or what he has come to do. No one knows that the Messiah yet is going to come and die. The idea that is, that is common amongst people about the Messiah is the one who will come and overthrow the Roman Empire become the king on earth now. When people hear the Messiah, that is what they think. And so Jesus knows to spread the news that He is the Messiah, given what they expect and what they know now, will only spread confusion. He must first show them what the Messiah is and what the Messiah must do. At which point, when He has shown them what the Messiah is, what He has come to do, then they are to proclaim who He is. The messianic secret is a very temporary thing. For now, for now, don't tell anyone. Once I have prepared you, once you know who I am, when you really know who I am, then I will command you at the end of the Gospels, then I will command you to go into all the world and tell everyone who I am but I must prepare you first. And he begins to prepare them right now. Immediately following his saying, don't tell anyone, he says, because for the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed by them and on the third day be raised. He tells them this. He's beginning to prepare them and they still don't understand, right? They have just proclaimed him to be the Christ of God and they have no idea what they're talking about. And he tells them he's going to die and they still don't understand it. And he says, don't worry. In a sense, he's saying, don't worry. You will understand the confession you just made. You don't understand it yet. You will understand it at one point. And at that point, you're going to go into all the world and proclaim, make that profession of Peter,
1: that Christ is, Jesus is the Christ of God. But in telling the disciples that he must
0: die, he is not just, to, not just describing to them what the Messiah must
1: do. He is also telling them what they must do. His sacrifice
0: and death is necessary for the salvation of the disciples' soul versus the salvation of our souls. But as we said just a minute ago, what he does, he also, also does as an example. And this is true here as well. His death and sacrifice is also an example of how they are to live their lives. He continues, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it.
1: Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. This is one of Jesus' most famous sayings, rightly so.
0: And these days, when I hear this popularly spoken of, I usually hear it interpreted in this manner. We are to give our lives for others, sacrificing our desires for others, giving ourselves for those who are in need. In some sense, we we hear this and we say, we are to do what we would call humanitarian work. And all of that is true. That is absolutely true. If the church is not feeding the hungry, if the church is not clothing the naked, if the church is not looking out for those who are in need and doing the work of helping those people, then the church is not being the church. Luke is particularly concerned with that. In his gospel, he spends a lot of time showing how Jesus helps those who are in need. He stresses that. That is all true.
1: But that is not primarily what Jesus is talking about in this passage. We have just seen that this is immediately preceded by Peter's confession that
0: Jesus is the Christ. Jesus has restrained them temporarily from broadcasting this profession until He has made clear what it means to be the Messiah in his death and resurrection, at which points they will be called to imitate His sacrifice and proclaim to the world who He is. Then he tells them to take up their cross, and immediately following that, he adds this with a conjunction for: "Because, right? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words. Of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory,
1: in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. The word translated ashamed here means just that, shame, embarrassed, not wanting to associate with. There's no getting around what Jesus is saying here. The word is not used often. The word for ashamed is not used often in the New Testament.
0: But when it is used, it is used almost exclusively to encourage us not to be ashamed of the gospel. Not to be ashamed of others who are suffering because they preach the gospel. Or to say that... Christ is not ashamed to come and call us brothers or to say that God is not ashamed to be called the God of those who are faithful. Talking about being embarrassed or ashamed about the gospel, the truth of what Jesus has done and who He is, or not to be embarrassed or ashamed about our relationship with each other
1: in Christ. Because Christ is not embarrassed or ashamed His relationship with us. The taking up of the cross and the suffering that Jesus is speaking of here
0: is that of disciples who give themselves proclaiming with Peter that that Christ, that, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, who has come to bring salvation through His life, His death, and resurrection.
1: Jesus expects His disciples to be good people who do good things and help other people.
0: But it is not enough to be good, nice people in order to be a disciple of Christ. He expects His disciples to be unashamed,
1: to unashamedly acknowledge who He is and our devotion to Him. That is the cross he asks us to take up. I've spent much of my life, once again, I am not preaching against doing humanitarian work.
0: I've spent much of my life doing it, and I intend to spend the, much of the rest of my life doing more of it. I will say that when I talk about work, when, most of the time when I say I have gone and I have gone and I've helped orphans. I've helped those in need. Talking to Christians or unChristians, The response is generally favorable.
1: There's times where people at most say, oh, really? I mean, okay, if you want to do that, go for it. And there are times like, there are times in in like Paul who,
0: Paul and Silas, who kicked out you know, uh, freed the demon-possessed girl who faced opposition from people who were monetizing oppression. There are times when you face that sort of persecution, but the vast majority of the time when you do things that are nice, you say, I am giving myself for those. The vast majority of the time, you get a pat on the back. Good job.
1: Then go tell people that you're telling them about others about Jesus. Announce that you've gone to the far ends of the world to bring the good news of the gospel, you don't get many pats on the back. You get a lot of people who don't just say, oh, if you want to do that. There's a lot of people who say, no, you
0: should not be doing it. You're hurting. And so there's a
1: tendency to be ashamed of it, to just talk about the humanitarian aspect. Jesus says, don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed of me don't be ashamed of the truth. And he has to tell us because he knows it's our tendency to do so. We may be ashamed of being ridiculed
0: for believing that Jesus, who is more than just a good, nice guy, more than a guy who just shook shook his fist at the rulers and the elites of his day, he was God who came to tell us that we were sinners in need of a Savior, and came to bring us that salvation.
1: And we need to grow in our
0: confidence that this is true, so that we can say with Paul, in another instance of this use of this word ashamed, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for
1: it is the power of God to salvation. Note also that Jesus says in this passage, in his Luke passage, He was ashamed of me or of my words. His teaching. And since He is the Word, the revelation of God, we
0: are right to see in this the teaching of Scripture, not just limited to the the red letters in the
1: Bible. Teaching of the Bible. How easy is it today to be ashamed of God's teaching? How many passages are there in Scripture that we, just, we say, ah, I wish he hadn't put that in there. Wish he hadn't said that. that we say, something, that didn't age well, did it? If I believe that, that's going to put me on, on the outs with the majority of people I know. Jesus says, don't be ashamed of me or my teaching. We might say, though, that it's not really Jesus we're ashamed of. He's okay. It's all these people who claim to follow him. Those are the things
0: I'm ashamed of. Those are the people I don't want to be associated with. All these
1: people bearing the title Christian.
0: I understand that. I completely get that. That makes a lot of sense to me. And there is much that is evil that should be condemned that takes place under the name of those following Jesus. That is absolutely true. However, I know many people who call them followers of Christ whose lives are more marked by an antipathy to those who claim to be Christians than it is marked by a love and devotion to Christ. And while I understand why this may be, and while I understand the hurt that has come at the hands of many people who call themselves Christians, I will also gently say that if the case is you're more marked by your dislike for other people
1: than by your love for Christ, then you're not following Christ. But we might say, Jesus came and He spent His time
0: with sinners and wanted nothing to do with the religious people of His day. He wanted nothing to do with the Pharisees. He completely shunned them. He just wanted to go to those outside
1: the religious establishment. That's who He focused on. There are many false narratives about Christ in the gospel. This is one of them. That is simply not true. It makes us feel good a lot of times, but it's not true to the narrative we have of Christ.
0: Of all the groups of people in Christ's area that he lived in, and there are lots of them, all of the religious groups, of all the non-religious groups that he
1: interacted with, the group he was most closely related to was the Pharisees. He was closely linked to them. He
0: says at one point, listen to what the Pharisees teach and do it.
1: They're teaching you right. Don't do like they do. Don't act like them, but listen to what they teach and do it. He never shuns the Pharisees. He has
0: the hardest words, the hardest words for anybody to them, but because he's most closely related to them. And while we like to talk about him coming to eat with tax collectors and sinners,
1: we have more instances of him eating with Pharisees than we do of him eating with tax collectors and sinners. Jesus' relationships are far more complex than we give him credit for. And we are not right to do what he himself would not do.
0: Just to shun those who we disagree with. To shun
1: those who we say, I don't like what you're doing, therefore I'm having nothing to do with you. Very often there's a good bit of pride and ego that must be put down in order not to be ashamed. We don't want to be thought of of to be one of those fanatics who thinks that Jesus is actually God. right? Or we may be more concerned that people don't think we're associated with people who vote differently from us. Not be put in those people's categories. To be in the church. There's a a lot of things, people in the church that I don't like, that look different, that smell different. I'm going to be associated with them. And in pushing away Christ's body on earth, we push away Christ. The church is not a nice,
0: sanitary, Safe space. The church is a war zone. It's a war zone. It's a place where we do battle with the devil, where God said, there will be wolves in sheep's clothing come among you.
1: It's a field hospital for people who are broken and hurt and hypocrites who need healing And when we push that away, we're pushing the way that people that Christ came to eat with, to be with, to speak to, to help, to love. Christ came to spend time with more sinners than we're, spend, we're worth willing to spend time with. Says, "Don't be ashamed of me. Don't," and I think in there, "Don't be ashamed of the people who I come." to heal, to speak to. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Don't be ashamed of my teaching. Christ humbled Himself to become like us. We must humble ourselves to become like Him. It does not mean we become angry
0: people does that mean we have to go and with our billboards on the sign telling everyone they're going to hell?
1: That's not that's not, the gospel, not being ashamed of the gospel of Christ.
0: It does mean that when the opportunity presents itself, we don't run. We don't hide from the fact that we are devoted followers of Christ. And we know and believe that that truth of what Christ has done, is what brings healing and grace and goodness
1: to others in need. We don't run from that. Jesus, this is what I expect from you if you're going to follow me. It's a cross you have to take up daily and follow me. I pray that God will give us the humility and the confidence in him to follow Christ in taking up that cross.